ready to preach. If you would open your Bible to Genesis chapter 13, we're continuing to work our way through the book of Genesis. I'll read the entire chapter. This is the word of the true and living God, whose inerrant, inspired, and authoritative word. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time the Canaanites and Perizzites were living in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take to the left hand, I will, then I will go to the right. Or if you take to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise and walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks at Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, our faith indeed does look up to Thee, and I pray that Your Spirit would come down and would be our teacher so that uh, as we read Your Word uh, with our physical eyes, and hear your word with our physical ears, that um, with our spiritual, uh, with the spiritual understanding that you give us, that our wills would submit to your word, that we would learn the joys and the blessings of living by faith in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. 
I'm going to focus most of this sermon on the first sub-point, and that is that living faith, or living by faith, requires repentance. Let me ask you this question. If you need to change your sinful behavior, how would you go about doing it? What strategy would, would you use for making those changes? I'm going to give you a list of some of the more common ways that people try and change their sinful behaviors. A very common strategy is church participation. The idea is that being in church and participating in the ministries and meetings of the church, well, that's a good thing. And therefore, that will help me change. This is called formalism. And Jesus condemned it when he rebuked the Pharisees. Another strategy is to make a list of do's and don'ts. And then you give yourself rewards when you do the right things. You give yourself some consequences when you do the wrong things. This is a very popular approach in psychology. The psychologists call it behaviorism or behavior modification. The Bible calls it legalism. The Apostle Paul calls it a false gospel. A third strategy for bringing change in a person's life is emotionalism. This is where a person seeks emotional experiences and these emotional experiences, emotional highs, will give a person power to make needed changes in their life. Unfortunately, that change uh, that takes place is mostly temporary, especially when life is mundane or when, when you're living life down in the valleys rather than, than on the emotional peaks. Um, and frankly, there are not that many emotional highs that we, we have. We live our lives in the mundane or in the valleys. And so the, the change that is brought about through emotionalism is uh, temporary and not lasting. And frankly, uh, probably not real. A fourth strategy is also popular in psychology. I was trying to think what would I call it, uh, for lack of a better terminology. I'm calling it uh, psychologyism. This is where a person is uh, taught that their bad or unhealthy behaviors often result from having, oh no, unmet needs in your life. And so the person is urged to seek emotional healing so that their psychological life can be put in order and then their actions will fall in line accordingly. The problem here is that Christ is often treated as a uh, psychological therapist uh, rather than the Savior of sinners. And the Gospel is reduced to healing emotional needs rather than um, being the life-changing, life-transformation force that the Bible says it is. Each of these strategies are popular, but they are also very, very wrong. Each of these strategies appeals to our self-righteousness because they allow us to think that with just a little minor tweaking of our behaviors or our lifestyles, our activities, or our thinking, that uh, we'll be able to bring about significant change in our life. 
And also, each of these strategies gives us some sense of control. And we like our sense of control, don't we? We talked about that last week. Abraham, uh, Abraham chose a strategy that allowed him to be in control of the situation when he was down in Egypt, or when he was about to enter Egypt. And we saw that uh, him taking control of the circumstances actually made things much much worse. It resulted in his wife ending up in, in Pharaoh's uh, harem. I think another reason why these strategies for change are so popular is that we really don't want to deal with just how desperate our situation really is. Uh, we are sinners. If we can find some strategy for change that, uh, that overlooks the fact that we are sinners, well then we, we like that strategy for change because it allows us some, some shred of pride, some, some shred of self-respect. And then all we have to do is change some behaviors. And once we do that, we can feel really good about ourselves. Kind of like those Pharisees that would go out on the street corners to pray. I'm sure when they were praying, offering up their prayers for everybody to see, they were feeling pretty good about themselves. thing is, God was pretty disgusted. Simply making some behavioral changes in your life, making some surfacy cosmetic changes that don't really deal with the heart, that disgusts God. Um, and we know that because our Lord Jesus called um, the Pharisees whitewashed tombs that look good on the outside, but on the inside were full of dead man's bones. The Gospel, however, teaches a different way. The Gospel teaches a better way. The Gospel teaches a way that actually results in real, lasting, God-empowered change. Do you have some, some sinful behaviors that need to change in your life? I bet you do. Well, let's look at the text and, and we'll see what the Bible says about how, uh, how a person changes. You remember last week that Abram made an awful mess of his life, but God stepped in and made thing made things right. He delivered um, Sarah from 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 Pharaoh's household, and he also, in the process, um, made Abram and apparently Lot very rich in the process. And so we come to chapter 13, and here in verses 1 through 4, we see, um, we see Abram being a very different person than he was in chapter 12 when he was down in Egypt. Uh, his behaviors changed radically. It was a two-step change. Abram renewed his faith in God, and he repented. And uh, we're going to see that this change was thoroughgoing, that it was lasting in his life. 
So uh, look with me as we uh, review verses 1 through 4. I'll read it again. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an, made an altar at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Basically, this passage tells us that Abram returned to God. Well, first God had to, to deliver him out of the mess. Uh, God being faithful, he will not deny himself. He had made these promises to Abraham. Uh, he was not going to let him go his own way. Uh, he was not going to let Sarai continue to live in Pharaoh's household. And so God delivers him. And reflexively, because Abram belongs to God, then he renews his trust in God. And so he returned to the Lord, and then in returning to the Lord, he also returns to the land that God had promised him. In fact, it says in verses 3 and 4 that he returned to the place where he had made an altar at the first. So the first thing that Abram does when he gets back to the promised land is he offers a sacrifice on that original altar that he had built. Verses 1 through 4 stress this idea of return. Abram returned from Egypt. Abram returned to the land of, of promise. Abram returned to the place where he had originally been. He returned to the, the original altar that he had built. He offered another sacrifice. All this is another way of saying that Abram repented. What is repentance? True repentance involves trusting God. It involves being sorrowful for your sin because you've offended God. It involves turning from the sin in order that you might turn to God wholeheartedly. It means letting go of the sin, letting, excuse me, letting go of it in order that you might turn to God and take hold of Him. Uh, you often hear uh, repentance defined as a change of direction. I think a fuller definition of repentance is a turning from our sin and turning to God in faith. Uh, all this repentance takes place in your soul. Now, it will certainly affect your actions, but first of all, it will, it will affect your relationship with God. True faith always involves repentance. True faith always, or true faith and repentance always go together. They're two sides of the same coin. Did you repent first when you came to God, or did you trust in God and repent later? It's really uh, two sides of the same coin. Did Abram trust God and then repent, or did he repent and trust God? True repentance always issues in faith. True faith always issues in repentance. Um, now in saying that, no matter how strong your faith is, 
if you are a stranger to repentance, then your faith is false. The two always go together. So I must ask you this question. Is repentance a regular and ongoing part of your walk with God? Test yourself. Examine yourself. What is the quality of your faith? Now, sometimes we think that once we've repented, everything's going to be uh, just wonderful in the Christian life, that everything's going to be just smooth sailing. But that's not true. A regular part of your Christian life is also going to be the testings that God sends into your life. Uh, So Abram... He was in certainly a test before he left for Egypt. There was a famine. That was the test. He went down to Egypt. Uh, He failed the the next test when Pharaoh uh, wanted his wife uh, for his harem. And then he repents. And what does God do? Uh, He brings Abram back into the promised land. And there is another test waiting on him. Uh, Abram left one test and walked right into another. Look at verses 5 through 7. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's, Lot's livestock. And at the time, the Canaanites and Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So, um, God brings Abram back to the promised land. He brings Lot with them. He's blessed them greatly. They are now very rich. So rich, in fact, that there's not enough resources where they are living to support the, the livestock of Abram's flocks and herds and the livestock of Lot's. Abram uh, of, of Lot's uh, livestock and herds. Now notice the end of verse 7. You, you might be saying, well, that's awful big land. Uh, why would they be having strife and difficulty? You know, well, Texas is an awful big state, and back in the 1800s they were having range wars because people were fighting over uh, having enough water and grasslands to, for their herds. But also, the end of verse 7 says... At that time, the Canaanites and Perizzites were dwelling in the land. In other words, the Canaanites and Perizzites, they had chosen the best parts of the land. They had chosen the well-watered parts of, uh, of, of the, the area where they were living. And so Abram and Lot are having to, to jostle, jostle with each other and, and uh, scrape, uh, as it were, against each other to find enough water and food for their flocks since the Canaanites and Perizzites uh, were also there and had, had uh, put down their, their stake in the, the, the best parts of the land. So, um, so here's the test. How's Abram going to respond? I believe that Abram's response shows us that, that his repentance was real. Now, by rights, Abram could have made the choice to take the best parts of the land, could have chosen to take any part that he wanted. But instead, look at what he does. He gives up his rights. 
Uh, he let Lot make the choice. Now, why would he do that? The reason is, Abram believed God's promise. He knew that God had given the, pro- the land to him. And so he knew he didn't, he didn't need to reserve the, the, the land for himself. He didn't need to take hold of his circumstances and try and take control. He simply entrusted himself to God, knowing that God would provide it for him. When you believe God and you entrust yourself to Him, you don't need to fight for your rights. God will take care of you. Notice also uh, this lesson for conflict resolution. Abram took the initiative. When there's a conflict, um, sometimes we wait for the other person to come and say sorry, especially if they've wronged us and we haven't done anything wrong. Abram took the initiative. Look at verses 8 and 9. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take to the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take to the right, uh, then I will go to the left. Abram took no thought for himself. Now this is a very different Abram than we saw last week who was down in Egypt. Uh, This is the power of repentance. Abram is a different person. Repentance doesn't simply cause you to stop an action. It also makes you more like Jesus Christ. That's the real beauty of repentance. Let me remind you of uh, Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. You remember we, we spent all that time in the book of Philippians? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, or, or in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, who is ruler over the creation of the whole creation, heaven and earth. He humbled himself and became a servant. Not taking thought of himself, he went to that cross. He allowed himself to be stretched out on that cross. He allowed himself to become sin for us. When we entrust ourselves to God, God the Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus. Even though Abram did not know Jesus' name. Even though Abram lived way back in the Old Testament, well before the New Testament was written, we see his character mirroring that of Jesus Christ, taking no thought for himself. When you entrust yourself to God, You stop thinking so much about yourself. And God begins to make you more like Jesus. 
I love what Andrew McLaren says. He says, less of our energies are consumed in asserting our, or when less of our energies are consumed in asserting ourselves and scrambling for our rights and cutting in before other people so as to get the best places for ourselves, the more we shall have to spare for better things and the more we will live in the future and leave God to order our ways, the more shall our souls be wrapped in perfect peace. Lot had forgotten about this. Um, Abram and Lot were both living at Bethel at the time. Bethel was located on a hill that was about 3,000 feet high. About a, a mile south was the highest, uh, one of the highest places in, in uh, Canaan. And from that vantage point, you could see the entire valley, the, the entire Jordan Valley. Uh, Lot is there in the Bethel area. He was able to survey the land. He looked to the west, and it seemed a bit dry. But when he looked to the east, to the Jordan Valley, it was very well watered. In fact, he even says it was like the Garden of the Lord. Lot was in the place that Abram was in Egypt, uh, spiritually speaking. He tried to control his own destiny. He tried to choose the path of least, least resistance. Um, Lot was a believer. Second Peter tells us uh, that he was a believer. But here at this point in his life, self-trust and selfishness had gripped him in this particular trial. This passage says that Lot lifted up his eyes and saw makes a particular emphasis. Uh, lifted up his eyes and he looked and he saw. In other words, Lot is living by sight rather than by faith. And he's going to learn that living by sight can be very, very misleading. Living by faith led Lot away actually from the land of blessing. As he moved east, he moved symbolically away from the, the land that God had promised but also he had moved physically towards, as it says in verse 10 and also verse 13, ominously towards Sodom and Gomorrah. For it says in verse 13, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Lot's decisions were based on sight. Lot's decisions were selfish. There was no concern for Abram. There was, uh, there was no concern for God. They were only, his only concern was the temporary benefit that it would bring him. So watch out for living by sight. We can be ensnared by our eyes. We can easily choose temporary benefit that will result in long-term pain. Also, living by sight constricts the soul. It reduces your view of God. It reduces your view of what God can do in your life, what God can do with your life. I would also argue that um, living by sight lessens your usefulness for Christ um, and lessens your usefulness for your families, uh, men, heads of households. 
because the best thing that you can do for your family is to broaden their view of God, to help and encourage your family to trust in the living God that He is faithful to His promises. That if you are so busy living by sight, you're not able to broaden your children's or your family's uh, faith in the living God. Living by faith, I'm sorry, living by sight brings tremendous sadness. Not only because of the pain that it will bring in your life, but also it's doubly sad because of all the things that you could have done for God. But because you weren't living by faith, you failed to do. Verses 14 through 16, and I'll just be quick here. Living by faith brings blessing. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for, for all the land you see I will give you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as a dust of the earth so that no one could count the, if, uh, if, if one could count the dust of the earth. Um, so your offspring also can be counted. In other words, it can't be counted. God's blessing is going to be so great for Abram. Also, living by faith leads to acting by faith. God told Abram not simply to believe the promise. He said, get up and walk. Go and inspect the land. Put your faith into action. Um... I assume you've heard the story of the man who was in a flood and, and he was so uh, so convinced that God was going to save him that when the rescuers came by, he said, don't worry about it, God's going to save me. And then as the floodwaters rose and he had to go up to the second floor, some, some rescue workers came in a boat. He said, don't worry about me, God will save me. Finally had to get up on his roof. They sent a helicopter to save him. Don't worry about me, God will save me. And then he dies in the flood and he stands before God and God says, um, or, or he says to God, why, why didn't you save me? And God says, well, I sent you to rescue workers to work, warn you. I sent them in a boat to, to rescue you. I even sent them with a helicopter. And, uh, and, and you didn't take advantage of it. Living by faith means putting your faith in action. Um, how, does, how does James say it? Um, even the demons believe and shudder. Uh, one man says, I have faith. Another man has deeds. James says, show me your faith by your deeds. Living by faith leads to acting in faith. And then lastly, living by faith is empowered by the source of faith. Um, the triune God is the source of faith. I love it as one of the, the children said, the Holy Spirit comes down. The Holy Spirit um, empowers us. Abraham, he worshipped in verse 4. And then here in verse 18, it says, So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Marmory, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar of the Lord, to the Lord. The, the passage begins with him worshiping. The passage ends with him worshiping. But this is not formalism. This is Abram putting his faith into practice. Abram loves God. And he knew 
because he had just learned in the previous chapter that if left to himself, he would not have the power to live by faith, that he would live by sight. God generated this faith in Abram. Christ is the source of our justification. Christ is the source of our sanctification. Christ is the source of our repentance. Don't think that you can change your life on your own. You want to change? You have sin that you need to change in your life? Flee to Jesus. He's the source, the true source of true and lasting change in our life. Let's pray together. Father, I do pray that as we have um, looked at this passage and seen Abram's uh, changed life, his transformed life because of You, so I pray that our lives would be changed and transformed to be made more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.